You're listening to One Good Take, the podcast that delves into the nitty-gritty of film development and distribution and explores the often elusive chemistry that brings the film to life. Hello and welcome today on One Good Take, writer, director and producer Chuck Perello. Chuck started out as a journalist reviewing movies, having championed John McNaughton's chilling cult classic Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. He went on to run McNaughton's film production company for a while. A few years later, he got the chance to write and direct a sequel to McNaughton's movie, starring a young Kate Walsh. He's been in crime ever since. Chuck and I got together in March 2022. Is that take. Chuck, hi. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me. Where are you now? I'm in Long Beach, California. Okay. How long have you been there? Uh, let me see, about uh, eight years. I was in Venice uh, and before that, and before that I was in New York City. Is New York your home? I'm a Chicagoan, actually. Oh, yeah, of course, that's right. I remember seeing your note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Born, born and raised in Chi-Town. True crime uh, is your kind of specialty, really. Um, how did you get into that genre? Uh, well, I've always loved cops and robbers and criminal movies. Um, so I think my, the impetus, what got my career going was, uh, I was working at a trade magazine, uh, all about film and video production in Chicago. And the director, John McNaughton, uh, came into our office and said, my film is about to show at the Chicago film festival. Perhaps someone here would like to write about it. The film was called Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. And I, I was always, I was interested in that subject matter, but I just kind of was swamped and it was on my desk. And uh, I took it home a month later and walked, plugged it into VCR and watched it and was just amazed. I, I expected this kind of uh, amateurish, you know, stupidity. And here was this amazing, amazing movie. So I ended up, writing about John and writing about the film. And then I got hired by the company that made the film. And it was languishing on a shelf uh, because it had been stamped with an X rating. And I started to push it uh, to my journalist friends. I got a midnight movie uh, slot for it. And it just started to kind of snowball from there. And uh, finally, finally, finally got it a theatrical release. and. Uh, John got, John McNaughton got hired uh, by Scorsese because of that film. And then John took me with him and I worked for him for a while. And then I branched off and made the sequel to Henry Portrait of Serial Killer and then kept making killer movies. So that was kind of fortunate, really, wasn't it? That you, you know, you, you made this one connection and from there, doors started to open and you went on to do your own movie. And then that was well liked. And, uh, uh, well, it was history, rough all the way, you know, it wasn't exactly in no, uh, sure. rose covered pedal, you know, it, it no. wasn't easy it was know, by any stretch. I mean, uh, the people that owned Henry did, didn't know what they had. And, uh, you know, it's, they were worried that it got stamped with an X rating and they didn't trust kind of the fact that, that, they had anything to do with anything good. Mm, they thought that yeah. they, if, it, if they had made it, it was, it was crap. And uh, although they said, they said that they liked the movie and, and uh, they've certainly made plenty of money from the movie over the years and they released it like eight different times. And so it's definitely their, their, you know, pride and joy now, but uh, back in the day, they're like, Oh, well maybe one day we'll get to it. And, you know, Michael Rooker continued to have a big career and they said, well, maybe we can latch on to his popularity. And it was just like, no, 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 just take this movie and put it out there and see what happens. And, you know, the, the truth of the matter was a lot of people were terrified to go see it. So the, the box office returns were, were not good. You know, the critics' response were unanimously not unanimously. There were people who did who were appalled by it, but <laughs> yeah, critics loved it. But audiences were afraid of it, and uh, yeah. you knew it had legs. That it, 
in the long term that would continue to grow this this myth behind it. But you know, you can't really eat good reviews. You know, they were hoping to launch. You know, when it did become popular, I said, well, we can make it into this, you know, horror chain kind of thing. And you know, it was just too specific. It was just just the perfect Henry Portrait of Serial Killer just was an amalgamation of all these different things that came together perfectly at the right time. And it just repeating that kind of thing, just that kind of magic is is pretty tough. And were you already writing before you came across John? Were you, I, I mean, besides journalism, were you writing scripts and that kind of thing? Uh, I was a journalist. Um, I was writing scripts. I never really, really thought that they would go anywhere. Um, I thought, I mean, my dream job was to be a screenwriter, but I had no idea how to get into, you know, actually selling scripts and, and whatnot. So it was just fortunate that I got to become a, a screenwriter, film director first. Yeah. So I didn't have to struggle with, you know, writing things that people, evil directors took and like me yeah. take and, you know, cut a change everything and you know i got to see my vision the way i you know word for word the way that i wrote it so i was very lucky that way where did you draw your inspiration from when you came to write the sequel uh well i have big crime buff and always writing you know always reading crime stories and uh i had read about a uh a group of uh arsonist you know, for profit, who ended up becoming, uh, said, you know, the arson's paying off handsomely. Why don't we, why don't we kill somebody next and, and make some money off of that? So I just kind of like, just started spinning and I just thought it visually would be interesting. And I thought uh, Henry would be obviously drawn to the darkest element possible. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to show Henry in jail because that wouldn't have been quite as much fun. As yeah. having him out out and about and doing what he does best. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just said, let's make this very active. He's not caught yet. He's still all his nasty habits are still intact, and uh, let's go from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was it a very tight budget you had to work to? Uh yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, compared to the first Henry, it was you know. I think it was like five times as much the original Henry, which still doesn't mean anything. Right. But, uh, you know, initially they were trying to get Michael Rooker to direct the part two. And he, you know, went after the carrot, that, that dangling carrot saying, oh, wow, I can direct blah, blah, blah. However, by that time, Michael was involved with so many big, huge budget Hollywood movies and, you know, wanted things done a certain way. And uh, the idea that he was going to come and direct this micro budget feature and freeze his ass off and you know, not have a, the perks of a regular yeah. but thing, it, it just wasn't going to work. And, you know, he he's a good guy, but he's very demanding and, uh, you know. It just he started laying all these demands on the producers, and eventually they just said, "You know what? Chuck's been working on this script for two years. There's no one's been as good for these these films as he has. So let's just let him do it." And I said, "Okay, let's do it." What had you done before that in terms of directing? Uh nothing, nothing. No. That was my that was my first time. I just uh, yeah. I went to the the company that owned Henry and I said, how about a sequel? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. They see dollar signs in their eyes. And uh, I just plunged in and started writing and writing and writing and writing. I mean, I I wrote for two and a half years before the the film actually ever got filmed. And uh, they saw how dedicated I was to it and how I love the genre so much and just watched movies like in cold blood over and over again and said, you know what? No one's going to give us, no one's going to be as dedicated to this as Chuck would be. I mean, I think we, for a while I 
started to cast the, the net out for some, an experienced director uh, to do this. And they all came in with their demands and their money and their managers and their agents. And it just wasn't appealing to the, uh, the owners of the film who just wanted a product. They wanted something that they could, you know, that they could be proud of, that they could take out and just say, okay, here it is. Cause they're very anti Hollywood. Yeah. And, uh, they just kind of like didn't want all that morass of stuff going on. They just wanted to say, okay, Chuck's going to do this. You know, he's our man. Let's go. Was it so. kind of nerve wracking then doing a feature, you know, without any kind of experience doing shorts or commercials or any of that? And you just dive in. Admittedly, you were immersed in your subject matter, which of course helps, but, uh, you know, you've got to suddenly direct camera and, talk to actors and how did you feel uh, about that when you, when it came well, to it? I had been doing, I had been around film production for quite some time, some time at that point. I worked for, uh, I worked uh, for Scorsese on uh, Cape Fear and then I worked with uh, McNaughton on some features. And so I was around it for quite, quite a long time. So I knew what it entailed. You know, I knew, where it was going and, you know, just hire really great people, hire great cinematographers and great actors and just, you know, use your judgment. And uh, even when I had, was right about to direct Henry two, I, John said, you know more than I did when I directed Henry one, John, you know, John had done a couple documentaries and things like that, but he had never directed a feature either. So he said, just jump in and do it. And, I wasn't ner- I wasn't nervous in the least. I because I had spent so much time preparing and yeah. writing, thinking cool. about it. I knew what I wanted. It's just uh, you know, luckily we had this great crew and this great cast, and just you know, we froze our butts off and worked real hard. And uh, you know, where were you when you shot that? Uh, we were in Chicago, actually. We uh, the film's not supposed to be set in Chicago, so it's kind of on the outskirts of Chicago, because I figured Henry was such a naughty boy in part one that he would definitely head out for parts unknown, but you don't see it Chicago. It's actually the, the suburbs of Chicago and Joliet, and but yeah, it was freezing. Was it? Yeah, <laughs> Chicago can be really cold, can't it? Yeah. But we, yeah. Uh, Kate Walsh was in the film who ended up going on to become quite a big celebrity, and uh, it's funny when I see her on TV shows and in movies and I think of her as, you know, this, this great gal who is, you know, this unknown actress who, uh, you know, asked for, asked for $50 a week for per, per, per diem and was like flatly turned down. No way, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> I think she, yeah. she's a multimillionaire now. And uh, I think at one point she asked me, she borrowed $200 from me to pay her rent. And I'm like, I'll never see that money again. (laughs) I did. (laughs) Yeah. She eventually paid me back, but it was just like, you think about that version of her versus this, you know, superstar TV, TV star, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She's on Instagram with jillion followers and everyone thinks of her as this great beauty. And, you know, she's, she's a great gal. She's really, really lovely. Can you remember any tense or sort of wobbly moments during the filmmaking process, you know, where things seem to be going a bit wrong or you're losing control for one reason or another, whether it's equipment or actors or people, you know, falling out or <laughs> equipment, you know. We were dealing with some dangerous elements with the fire and, you know, with, with the fire and the arson. And, uh, mm. you know, there were a couple of hairy moments where, you know, the camera crew was standing outside of fire burn center and, the, you know, 25 below zero and the winds whipping and you know and all the special effects guys are like just loving these explosions and you know not i'm freaked out because it's like wait a minute i don't want to roast the whole crew you know it's fire <laughs> yeah. blazing and the cinematographer like wait wait i can get a better shot it's like uh no that's fine <laughs> but uh yeah everyone it was very very copacetic for the most part i mean you know i had a few issues with uh with the actors and things like that, but everybody worked hard and did a great job and just really supported me. And I, 
I've never had that kind of experience since. So, <laughs> yeah, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, as hard as that was, it was actually one of the bigger budgeted things that I've done. And uh, like I said, the support was there, and just kind of was left alone to do what I wanted. And that doesn't happen. Yeah, not often, does it? No. And that was yeah. like four week shoot, five weeks maybe or longer. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, it was. I think it was like four weeks. So. Yeah, back in the day, like how am I going? How am I going to do all this in this amount of time? And now it's schedules are are so cut down. They're yeah. really like, they just they want you to do it in two weeks, and you know, yeah, they don't want to pay overtime. Yet they want they want everything done yesterday, and uh, and then they bitch, and then the producers bitch about, whoa, where's this cut? Why isn't there coverage for this? And then it's just like you're lucky there's an image. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, on any or anything, you know. Yeah, they're screaming. It's like, why isn't this lit? Why isn't this going on? It's just like, well, yeah, I know. It's a while to make it? to do good lighting, and so it doesn't look cheap. And and yeah, you know, especially yeah, they think they that you can just just wave a camera and the film will be made. Some some people who don't really understand the process, uh, it's uh, yeah, quite a problem. The digital revolution, they think it's, oh, well, yeah. why can't we just everyone shoot things on a phone? And, uh, you know, especially these films deal with murders and violence and uh, that all that all takes time to choreograph and do right and okay. uh, and make sure no one gets hurt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw that thing would happen, happen with Alec Baldwin, you know, yeah. with the shooting on the set. It's like that could happens so easily you know with people cutting corners and budgets mm. nobody thinking about you know the big picture and safety really i mean uh, you know you have people hopefully have people on set saying you know let's put the let's be safe about this mm. but you know a lot of times they get overruled by the producers who just want to save a buck and want to want to cut time down and things like that and you see what happens, you know. It's like uh, such a tragedy with a uh, Alec yeah. Baldwin film. I mean, what a nightmare! Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you shot that film, cut it, and got it out there. How how well did it do? Um, it did all right. It's it's uh, you know I, I was pleased with the the critical response, and uh, you know it was it was Henry, so it went all over the world and got into film festivals and made money, which the producers will never admit to. <laughs> but Because uh, they'd have to pay you. <laughs> yeah, it did fine. And uh, what happened after that was uh, just uh, in, a distributor was selling it at the Cannes Film Festival and uh, uh, the producer, Hamish McAlpine, who's, uh, you know who, who that is? A British guy. I don't think so, no. I know okay. the Calpine name, but no. Yeah, yeah. His father runs that big construction company. That's right. Oh, crap. Right. Yeah. That's, that's how I know it. But, <laughs> but he uh, saw the ads and everything in, at Cannes, and uh, he was at a, an event with John McNaughton, and he said, Oh, look, they're ripping off your film. You know, look, you know what I mean? They, they're cast, they're taking your idea and making mm. money off of it. And John said, no, that's Chuck's film, you know, and it's a good film, you know, and, and, uh, he's a good guy and it's a good, you know, it's a really good film. And, uh, and Hamish was completely stunned, figured, you know, this guy would, would be, be talking shit about it immediately, but he said, no, no, it's a great film. So Hamish watched it and liked it. And, and he was casting around for someone to direct Ed Gein. So he hired me. And what was your process for again? I imagine reading. Did you have any documentaries to look at prior to that? Uh, well, yeah, because Ed Gein has inspired so many landmark horror films, like Silence of the Lambs and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and uh, Psycho, all the other ones. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so you start there. You start watching all that, and then there's documentaries and there's books, and uh, he's just a topic of endless fascination. I mean, uh, he's he's one of the stars of the internet, which is you know one of the serial killer stars of the internet, which is amazing considering 
that story happened in the late 50s. And he really, Ed Gein really did not kill that many people. I mean, he's been bested many times over by a lot more heinous criminals, but there's something about that story about a mama's boy, you know, in the woods, a lonely guy, loser, you can't get a girlfriend who, uh, you know, just ends up reverting into the darkest recesses of his mind and going crazy and robbing graves and uh, eventually leads to murders. Yeah. I mean, true crime is quite a tricky one in as much that you've got to get this balance right, haven't you, between our fascination in in the perpetrator and and also our sympathy and understanding for the victims and and the the victims who are still alive, you know, their families and friends and so on. Mm. How do you work to find a balance for that kind of tension between the two? Um, it can be tough. I mean, we, I did that film on the Hillside Strangler and, uh, you realize that happened in the actual story of the Hillside Strangler happened in the the late seventies. So it's pretty contemporary. I mean, it's, it's, you got to realize that most of the family members are still around and still, you know, very wounded by what happened to their, to their daughter or to their wife or whatever. And, uh, so, you know, you're reenacting what happened, what, you know, what happened, the horrible things that went on with these people, but it's, it's, you know, it happened. It's true. So just try not to be exploitative about it and, uh, you know, grant yeah. them some dignity and death that they never really, they didn't get when they were being victimized by these terrible people. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's it's just the i it really makes me sympathetic to victims and to victims families and you realize that it's not just it's not just the the person that got killed that it's you know it's this, this effect where it's like the ripple effect law enforcement and everyone who was touched by these stories it's it's just it's huge it's vast it's it's not just some weirdo you know killed this killed this poor girl or poor you know poor person it's it's you know it's a ripple effect it's lots and lots and lots of people are affected by these things and uh so you know there's a responsibility there that i i take pretty seriously i you know i'm not you know i just violence especially realistic violence is is just something you have to be really really careful when you're portraying it yeah so do you look quite deep into if you like the psychological profile of the killer and sort of try to drill down into understanding the motivation and the kind of world the internal world as much as the, the events i do i do I, I feel like you should definitely uh ex- try to find the motivation and things that happened like even ed gein even though what he was doing his motivations were crazy. You know, the thought reasoning behind what he did was, was insane, but still there was some sort of reasoning there. It wasn't just, you know, I'm a killer, therefore I'm going to go kill people. It's just, there was a thought process there as twisted and as damaged as it was. So I always try to get into that. I always try to figure out what it is the reasoning behind things. And, and sometimes there really isn't, and it isn't any reasoning behind it. It's just somebody just snaps and just decides to do this insane stuff. But most of the time with killers, there are ample warning signs that they were going to go off the rails. Uh, I take Ted Bundy, for instance, uh, the media has uh, created this, this image of, Ted Bundy as this brilliant law student, uh, you know, do, brilliant guy who attracted the ladies and just had it all. And, uh, you know, when the truth of the matter was, he failed at everything he ever tried. He said, I'm going to be a law student. He flunked out. He said, I'm going to be, I'm going to speak Chinese. He, he failed at that. He just was a failure. And anyone who knew him said, 
you talk to him for 10 minutes and you realize there was something not right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the media would rather portray this Prince charming, you know, women swooning kind of image because that's, that's more interesting than some, some loser, some like even, uh, uh, Ted, uh, Bianchi, uh, Ken Bianchi, the Hillside Strangler, uh, one of the Hillside Stranglers, there were two of them. I would say, yeah. Mm. Good looking guy, you know, young, good looking guy. And, uh, you know, he used to get love letters in jail and, and, and women swooning over him. But the truth of the matter was he, people right away knew there was something wrong with him. They said he was like, he had the personality of a used car salesman and, uh, you know, it's always what a colossal liar, just, uh, you know, always exaggerating, always making stuff up, living in a fantasy world of his own creation. And uh, so, I mean, I, I think typically there are warning signs for these people. You know, it's, 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 it doesn't just come out of left field. And no. so that's what I, I try to dig into because I think audiences are just kind of looking for some sort of guidance as to why this is happening. So I try. Yeah, it's to get a long to... process, isn't it? It's, it starts really with childhood, and you know, you the killers' I, stories I've read, you know, really did start very early on, where usually men uh, felt very isolated, and perhaps the parents were either alcoholic or just distant, yeah. or, or not even together. And then there was a certain amount of abuse, and it just kind of rotted, you know, from there. <laughs> There's some, something. You know, what, why, why, you know, lots of us do have all sorts of problems growing up, but most of us don't turn the way they did. But there's, there's, it, it's interesting, isn't it? What, what really was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak? You know, what was, what was it that turned them that way? I mean, right. like you said, with Bundy, you know, he was at least quite intelligent and articulate and so on. So you wonder, well, lots of us fail at multiple things during our lifetime, but we don't mm-hmm. end up strangling people or beating people up and killing them and so on. So you, you, you can't help but be intrigued why somebody with that much promise, although a string of failures, turns that way. Um, why does he take it out on women the way he did? It's never quite. Uh, well, thank God. Most, most 99.9% of people don't, don't turn that page, you know? Yeah. And, uh, we stop, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> whatever right. it is, whatever anger we feel, we 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 channel it into something more useful, positive. Right. I yeah. mean, kind of your human nature stops you from being cruel and evil, and uh, you know, I mean, it's it's nice to think about once in a while. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. You know, thoughts are one thing, but actually acting on them is that takes a certain kind of person. That luckily, it's it's pretty rare. I mean. Uh, Hollywood would have you think that there's one, you know, there's, there's five serial killers in every neighborhood and, and uh, that there's, they're diabolical and cunning like uh, Hannibal Lecter. And, uh, you know, well, the truth of the matter is it's just some lowly loser who just isolated and, and doesn't have anything better to, in their life. And uh, yeah, they, they entertain these thoughts, then they act on these thoughts and, for the first time and they're usually horrified that they did it but then they and they expect to get caught immediately that doesn't happen and they start saying you know what i i felt a sense of power there that i don't ordinarily have and yeah uh, exactly maybe i might like to try that one more time dealing with this kind of subject matter do you sometimes find it kind of creeping into you we spoke of this before so creeping into your brain you know this kind of you're so involved in the killer's imagination and so on that it actually starts to a little bit warp your own thinking. I mean, obviously not 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 to the degree that it warped them, but yeah, you know, do you, does it sometimes actually really get you down and you sort of feel the weight of the whole thing, not just the killer, but the the whole world, and and you find that sort of as compelling as it is, it's it's also obviously to a degree a bit of a downer. Oh yeah, it sure is. I mean, uh, but I don't, I don't have nightmares or anything about it. Maybe because I, I get it out during the day. That's, that's what I do. 
you know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just mind blowing. And just the, the idea, the empathy I have for people who are victimized and, and, and families of, of victims. And it's just, it's, it's really grown exponentially since I got, I got on this path and started, you know, made it my life's work. But yeah, it's it's really something. And uh, sometimes when I I present a script or I, I you know I, I submit a script and and then I don't hear back from people, and, and then I finally talk to them later, and I realize how they said it gave them nightmares forever. And really, yeah, you know. And it's just like to me, I just was like, well, that's good, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah yeah you know one film i was supposed to make uh based on the sunset uh slayer killings in los angeles uh, you know i we're all set to go and uh you know i worked forever on the script and then the producer says well somebody read the script who was put off by it and I'm like, well, that's good, right? You know what I mean? What they're not going to be jumping. This is so great. Yeah, quite. It's not a comedy. You know? I mean, that's good. If they if they were indifferent to it, that would be quite another matter. If they said, oh, yeah. well, yeah, it was just another, blah blah blah. But I think just you know, it's 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 in this day and age when everyone is so inured to violence that that they just watch violent movies and just don't think a thing about it. If I can get to someone in this regard, then I really think I've done my job correctly. If, if yeah. people are horrified by it and, and think about it forever and and say, you know, that was just so terrible and blah, blah, blah. You know, getting a reaction out of anyone these days with violence so prevalent on the news and in movies and in TV shows is, you know, four stars, gold, you know, that, I think it's, you know, then then I've done my my work properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about some of the work you've been working on recently. Um, which one would you like to talk about? You sent me treatments to a couple of ideas, didn't you? And uh, yeah, right. you a couple of those. Uh, well, I'm. Uh, uh, I wrote um, a script called uh, uh, City Gas quite yeah. a few years ago, which is based on a uh, uh, true story about a. Uh, an East Indian gas station magnate in uh, New York who hired a career criminal to uh, start bumping off his adversaries. Uh, true story. I read about it in the papers and when I was living in New York, I just became fascinated by it and uh, uh, went to the trial of this, guy, this guy's trial and, and just researched the heck out of it. And uh, uh, I had a, bunch of false starts where I thought I was going to get made uh, one time with uh, Naveen Andrews playing the lead. and uh, uh, But now it's getting, going to be turned into a TV series, which makes me very proud. Yeah, that's like, right. All yeah. that work, finally, finally, finally. Yeah. I mean, if you went so to the court case, I mean, that's a good few days out of your year, isn't it? I mean, did you go every day pretty much? or? Oh, no, no, no. That was, no. That was took forever, but yeah. I was there when they were trying to give him the death penalty. That was very interesting. Huh. But uh, it was it was fascinating because it was uh, he was uh, uh, the perpetrator was a uh, Sikh, so a lot of the trial was in uh, Punjabi with mm. uh, translation. Mm. You realize this was to me. It just became this ultimate like. Uh, uh, New York crime story, you know? It's like you're so used to seeing the Italians presented as these heavies and, uh, but, you know, organized crime happens everywhere and with every ethnicity. And it was interesting to see this, this immigrant who arrived in New York with $2 in his pocket and became just through sheer force of will, this, this multimillionaire businessman who destroys everything by just going off the rails and being paranoid. And he was a gangster worshiper, which there's quite a lot of people who watch The Godfather on repeat and Goodfellas. <laughs> it goes to the head, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a 50-year anniversary of The Godfather. 
And they talked about, I've read about how the mobsters would use the Godfather and as their template and emulate the, the actions in there and repeat the lines. And uh, so this was this guy, this was this, 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 this city gas guy. And uh, I, you know, I thought I, I was always believe in this as being just this really cool slice of New York life. And, uh, you know, the immigrant, uh, the, the Sikh is, is, his involvement with this black guy who, who was the hitman was was so fascinating to me because the black guy was a real gangster. This guy lived to just raise hell and, you know, in and out of prison and uh, just wasn't afraid of anybody or anything. And, you know, killing was all was fine. Just sure. you can, Let's do it. Give me some money. Yeah, that's fine. You know, let's let's go for it. And, you know, they absolutely, for this long, hot summer that this happened over, they absolutely terrorized the Sikh community. People are like, wondering who's going to be next? And, you know, and uh, it was a huge, huge uh, story in the, New, in the New York papers. And I, I just thought it was absolutely fascinating. So I'm thrilled to death that it's finally, finally going to reach, you know, some sure. conclusion. Can you take us through the process? I mean, obviously, it's a long one, so we ain't got all day for it. But, I mean, you've got your basic story, haven't you? You've got your newspaper clippings, maybe a few recordings. So you're able to piece through the piece, the beats, the main beats of the story, and I guess you also got something from the trial itself. How about the fictional element? Because, obviously, if it's a drama, you know, you're going to have to use your imagination to write a scene between the main characters and you're you're using transcripts how do you do that i mean are you referencing quite a lot existing material that's out there dealing with you know these kinds of crimes are, are you really just letting your imagination run free with the material you've got what's your process if you um, everything you take all the information you put it in your your brain and just you know, shred it up and, and spit it all out and rearrange it. I mean, the, the city gas script took like years, years and years of just development. And uh, I was so obstinate and said, this is going to work. And so I kept showing people drafts. And of course, all these smart Alex would come back with all their notes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was like eventually, eventually, eventually people would say, Terrific, you know what I mean. But yeah, it's a long, 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 long process. I mean, I, I, I like I, said, I studied it. I went to the trial. I read everything. I read the court transcript. I, I, I went around to some of the locations and just took videos of of where things happened, just so I could have an idea. I mean, because once you do that, once you go to where things happen, it, it really brings it into focus. So, and, you know, I talked to the DA and I talked to a few other people. Um, I never, I never tried to contact the perpetrator though. I just figured I don't want to be involved <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> with yeah. a person like you that. Put a hit out on you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, even uh, one day I was at the trial and I, I went and I sat, there was hardly any seats. So I went and I sat down. And then I realized that I was sitting next to the guy's wife and he leaned over and he's like, he was talking to her, which he probably should not have been doing, but he saw me kind of, my eye drift towards him. He gave me the snake eyes. Mm. I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and actually a friend of mine called, called me and pretended to be like, somebody who was involved with the whole case. He's like, what are you doing there? Taking notes. And, uh, very good actor, so you know. A little, <laughs> yeah, I, I held my ground, but I must admit I felt a little bit uh, strange about that. Yeah, but you know, you're poking around in these things, and these are dangerous people. And uh, you know, you think that this guy's in jail for the rest of his life, and he doesn't have, you know, but as we all know, more of a reputation. Yeah. Right, he's got more of a reputation than he does anything else. But still, you know, the thought's always in your head, like, yeah, you know, one day. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see, what, we'll see when the TV show starts airing what happens. But uh, I'm not 
I'm, I'm not intimidated in the least. I mean, but uh, yeah, typically I, I, I try to avoid talking to uh, victims and, and things like that because, you know, mostly they'll, they'll, they'll want money <laughs> and yeah, I have yeah. none. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And their involvement usually means a lot of strings and attachments and, uh, yeah, know, it's just, uh, and producers don't like that. They no. don't like, they yeah. don't like packages that come with all these, these things, you know, it's only, it's only in 90 minutes that, you know, an hour and a, two hours time, you know, that you're having to fill where typical crime stories take years and years and years to, to come to fruition. And, and there's never really an ending. So as a creative writer, if you can't come up with enough material to fill a two hour movie, when you have a juicy story like that, then there's a problem, I think. Yeah. So you, you said TV series. So when you said two hours, is it like, like a mini series or? Yeah, it'll be a limited series. Yeah. Like three. Right now they're talking about like a, a, a five, six parter. Okay. So how yeah. much did you write? You, you perhaps wrote an hour pilot and then a treatment or did you write the whole thing all the way through and then? Uh, no, it's in the process of, of getting develop, uh, uh, getting ready to produce right now. So there'll be writers and there'll be directors and it'll be right now they're talking about uh, some of it in Canada, shot in Canada and some of it in, in India. So let's, it should be exciting. I'm not sure what my complete involvement will be, you know, yet, but uh, whether I'll be there on the set or whether I've just kind of get paid off. But like I said, I'm just thrilled that it's finally, yeah, finally coming sure. to fruition. Yeah. So you, what you had to sell, if you like, was uh, an hour script or an hour and a half plus a treatment? Yeah, or a feature film of- script. A feature yeah. film script, and plus my knowledge of the case and uh, and my obsession with with all the characters. And uh, I mean, I at one point it was there was a real rich guy that wanted to make it, and uh, he said that other people had presented him screenplays based on that story, but that mine was by far the most complete and had everything on the page that needed to be there. So, I mean, I wondered about that when I was in court and I did see a few other people that seemed like they might be writers, you know, might be interested in, in turning this into a book idea or something like that. Yeah. So if I, I haven't heard of a book coming out about it yet, but uh, I've seen like little episodic true crime shows about this, this case story and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's, it's very unusual. It's it's because yeah. typically... Typically, the Indian community, they, you don't see any trouble there. You don't see any criminality or anything. Anything. I mean, you know, all people have the bad apples and stuff like that. But uh, typically... This one stood out, yeah. Yeah, the Indian community, they're, they're just law-abiding and... Uh, Middle class. Same, sort of. mm. same with Italians, you know. It's, uh, I'm Italian myself, but, uh, you know, most people are not like the Sopranos or... Uh, no. The Corleones, or uh, no. although I lived uh, actually one of my big stories it was I lived on a block when I was a kid with uh, two very famous gangsters with uh, Sam Giancana, who was the oh. uh, who was famous, famous, famous guy who hung Gotti, out with wasn't he? Did he work with Gotti? John no, Gotti? no, no. Sam Giancana was Frank Sinatra's best friend, oh, and. That's uh, it, yeah. He actually swung the a whole election. He got people to elect JFK. And then when JFK got his brother involved, all of a sudden they went after the mob. It's like, wait a minute, I got you elected. <laughs> yeah. But Gene Connor was a very, very famous mobster. And on the same block was uh, Tony the Ant Spilatro, who was the uh, inspiration behind Joe Pesci's character in the movie Casino. Okay. Mm, it's so, <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. a very middle middle class block, so it wasn't like people imagine. Oh, gangsters is going to be, you know, opulent. And it's like gangsters live in in modest surroundings, so the IRS won't know how much money they have. So, but it was interest. It was an interesting time period, and uh, mm. I think the fact that there was always FBI cars outside of our house, wow. watching Giancana's house. Yeah. Well, that kind of was like one of the germs of my true crime odyssey. Which yeah, it probably was, wasn't it? Yeah. Look, 
love gangster movies. Just love them. Just love gangster movies. I love prison movies. I love just the archetype of, you know, the band yeah. pulling the bean to the prison gates and the, the yeah. mean guards. And I love all that stuff. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, it's just better to watch a movie about it than actually live through it. Yeah. Did you go to a tough school? No, no, no. I'm very, very suburban. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I, you know, I lived in Chicago, but I'm, you know, and I lived in New York City, but yeah, no, suburban, mm. suburban mm. kid, luckily. Mm. Yeah. But when it got along and anything tough, I'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other one that I, you sent across, which was uh, Powder Burns, talk to me a little bit about that. It sounded interesting too. Yeah, that's based on a true story where a, a woman uh, or a 19 year old, uh, young woman uh and her older married lover they go to war with her parents over the uh over the relationship she's having with this guy and uh tragically the young the 19 year old uh woman and her older married lover end up murdering her parents and her younger brother so it's very very devastating story but it's fascinating because the uh woman's father hated her boyfriend so much that he belted him in the face with a shotgun and threatened to kill both the boyfriend and his daughter so the this 19 year old took this to heart and said this is going to happen. So we have to do something about it. And she tries to hire a hit person and that doesn't work. So then they end up taking matters in their own hands. And it's just devastatingly dark and delicious. It's just, it's pretty amazing. And it's, when did that happen? Uh, that actually happened in the the eighties. So it's, it's been a while, but it's, it's always been a story that stuck with me. And, uh, so that's, that's, Almost, almost completely financed, and I mean, it's going to be a shoestring budget, but I'll get to direct it. And uh, I think it's, I think people who like this stuff just are going yeah. to be into it. I mean, there's one thing that gets a rise out of people still, which is parasite, which is the, the murder of one's parents. That's still like, oh, really? She did that? Let's hear some more, you know? So you know, it's it's dark and violent, and again, but there's all the the motivations behind the crime as crazy as they were. And uh, it shows how people who are leading regular exist, seemingly regular existence, all of a sudden can turn into killers. It's just like all of a sudden you go from her boyfriend was a, a pharmacist, a married pharmacist. And, you know, she was a unemployed headstrong teenager. Next thing you know, they're, they're, you know, killing people, cutting people's throats and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. So yeah. yeah. It's nasty, but it's 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 dark and delicious. It's really I, that's another one that I, I worked on forever. So I'm thrilled that it's finally coming going yeah. to be produced. Yeah. Well it's two obviously dark crimes, but two quite different stories. And I just wonder, do you find yourself able to identify what you might loosely call a signature when you do your films, you know, well, is there a certain kind of, ah, oh, that's me. That's kind of Chuck's take on this. And, and if, if so, what is that? It, can you draw the essence out? Um, I typically like more complicated crime stories than say a simple serial killer story. Not that those aren't complicated too, but uh, I typically like things where there's a lot of layers and a lot of plot twists and, uh, I don't gravitate towards serial killer stuff, you know, per se. Like, uh, I don't, if I see something about Ted Bundy, I don't immediately click on it. Or John Wayne Gacy, you know, although that's endlessly fascinating. I I'm, I would rather read a crime story that involves graft and, 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 you know, money, money and gangsters and politicians and, and, uh, I'd rather read something and deal with something that's a little bit more complicated than than just a weirdo yeah. decides he's going to go on a killing spree. My take 
really quite superficial because we don't know each other that well, but is there seems to be a fascination with the relatively ordinary or even possibly successful person who turns to become this killer. And your fascination is, you know, what makes them go that further step? You know, how is it they can go from being just angry and stuck with a certain situation to dealing with it in a in a very violent way? Uh, yes. Am I right? Is, is something something there that kind of fascinates you? What what makes a person flip, if you like? A quite quite an intelligent, possibly even successful person. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. I mean, what I would I'm actually very interested in in uh, women who kill lately because that, that just goes so against what women are all about. Violence and women just don't seem to correlate. So yeah, yeah. I mean, because you, you, men, you know, no, no brainer. Men are weird and violent, and you know, that's just our nature. Yeah, but women, yeah. or a woman, especially one who gets talked into it, which is one of the one of my projects, uh, the Sunset Killers. You know, where it's it's was she talked into it, or did she always have this in her? her you know, was was this always something that was under under the surface and. Uh, so yeah, and I would say that's an accurate representation. It's it's just take something who's somebody who seems ordinary and and the the idea of killing is the last thing on their mind and next thing you know they're you know they're out at oh, night yeah. doing these things and just out of control and taunting the police and uh you know they know the stakes involved. They know what's going to happen if they get caught yet the thrill that they they get off of it is just the adrenaline rush is just too it's 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 too undeniable they have to do it do you think it's there's just, more of that recently I mean, as i say recently i mean in the last 20 to 30 years are there more women surfacing who have killed you know possibly violently mm, i don't think so i don't uh, think so i think i think they I get all the attention thinking. sorry i think they get a lot of attention i think that when uh People are fascinated by killer women, but uh, I've written things about like uh, uh, men, men who get falsely convicted for murder. And, uh, uh, you know, there's so many, so many absolutely devastating stories where, where people get convicted of murder and spend 30, 40 years in jail and they're innocent. And they said, well, that's good, but can you switch it to women? And it's like, well, that's like two instances. You know what I mean? There's, there's just, it's just not comparable. But when it does happen, then it becomes huge media, like huge media storm, like uh, Amanda Knox and uh, yeah. uh, Katie Anthony and, uh, you know, uh, what's her name? Uh, Jody Arias. And, uh, you know, it's just people are just love to hate these women. They, but they say, well, she's not that pretty and she's not this. And why, why did that guy like her? And uh, there's a lot of armchair detectives out there who, who yeah. that's, that's, what, that's what they're obsessed with is, is the ladies who kill. So, I mean, think about the, the, uh, the Moors murders and uh, especially yeah. if somebody, a woman has been dragged into yeah. it by, by a weird guy like uh, the Sunset Rose Killers. Yeah, Craig West like and Rose West, for example. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, like I said, I wrote about uh, Carol Bundy and Doug Clark, and she was a, she looked like a librarian, just this wall-eyed, like homely woman who was a nurse, and uh, she meets this younger, good-looking guy at a bar, and, uh, you know, she's immediately smitten with him, and uh, he reveals himself to be a serial killer to her, and then recruits, eventually recruits her into his his activities, and uh, it's just fascinating, the idea that anyone wouldn't go running for the hills the minute anyone brought that up and say, no yeah. way, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I doubt they rarely, say, they rarely say it sounds like a great idea. They get talked into it or manipulated into it or threatened physically into doing it. I doubt it's it's rarely like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's great, let's do it. Yeah. That's, that's, I can't imagine that it's an easy step to take. Yeah, yeah. And so with your feature, the, the one you say you, you're going to do on a shoestring, where did you go for the money for that? 
is that previous contacts and producers or venture? Well, I've been hobbling, I've been hobbling it together forever. So it's finally getting it all, all together. I mean, it's, it's by the time it's finally, 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 finally in front of the cameras, I bet the shoestring budget will be pared down even more. So, but you know, after all this effort and angst and stuff, I'll, I'll be thrilled to just be there saying action and cut, you know, it's uh yeah, I mean, it's it's these they want uh, producers want to spend no money, yet they insist on uh, name, talent. Yeah, and, I know it's crazy. Yeah, and it's just like, wait a minute, these people aren't are, you know, it'd be one thing if it was a labor of love, some beautiful story about you know how someone finds themselves, but this is dark, dreary stuff that they have to be involved in, and if they do it right, they're they're plunging themselves into this psychological abyss it's 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 tough i mean uh, yeah i'm just me i'm just so thrilled that most of the actors are so brave and you know we'll act out some horrible violent scene and i'll be like oh are you all right and they'll be like oh yeah it was great now let's do it again so it's just like they're braver than me i must say yeah yeah i can imagine and you Got a film here that looks as if you can do it in just a few locations, right? Maybe three or yeah, that's four. Always, so that helps keep the budget down, doesn't it? Yeah, that's always the case. It's like mm. do it outside because you can use available lighting, and you know, don't you know the haven't been through this before? It's it's you you know what to avoid, and like okay, we're gonna have no time, so let's go outside and do it, and. Even when you're outside, you still have to think about lighting and things like that. But luckily, the cameras and stuff are getting are so so sophisticated now and so lightweight that uh, uh, even dark in dark, really really dark environments, they pick up a lot of stuff. Yeah, that, uh, it's very true. Typically, yeah, to to light a night scene with film took forever, forever. hours yeah. and hours and hours and hours, and yeah. uh, now it's just just you know you can do things on the fly and uh it's it's a lot easier but it's again it's it just doesn't happen in a split second still mm. need camera people still need sound people you still need hair and makeup you still you know are you calling on people you've worked with before both cast and dps or that kind of thing uh yeah i try to i mean uh sometimes there's such a large gap between times and stuff that you worked and, you know, like some of them really went on to huge careers. So, you know, they're not touchable in this budget range, but uh, yeah, definitely. I I definitely had a good experience with, with all the tech people that I've been involved with. I just, they were all so terrific and so supportive. So yeah, if I can get them back, I would. I mean, yeah. uh, Do you have any cost attached? Uh, we're working on it. We're working on it on the on the power yeah. burn and stuff like that. Yeah, Again, yeah. it's they're looking for a big name for to play the the girl, and it's just you know, anyone's a big name in that realm. It's not going to want to do a micro budget feature because they no. uh, they're on TV yeah. shows that they get paid so much money for. They might want to do it. They might be you know they might yeah, be but the aging it. won't. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's you the know, thing, isn't it? You're going to get past that. Their mother reads it like, hell no, you're not doing this. Yeah, there's that as well. <laughs> Over yeah. my dead body. You know, yeah, well, that can yeah. be arranged. How many you producers know, was, are you on, on the picture? City Gas has probably been like seven, seven changeovers. And Powderburn wow. yeah. has probably been like five. Yeah. You know, people come in, yeah, we're going to get this done. La, la, la. I can find the money. And, uh, and you know, then the, then the yeah. Page, the calendar pages start flying off and it's like, okay. But, you know, you have to be somebody who just kind of eternally optimistic and say, yeah, okay, if this were easy, everyone would do it. Exactly. Yeah, what else? Yeah. yeah. Good. So what's what's ahead of you in the next uh, few weeks? Have you, are you, these two projects principally? Yeah, that, and I'm, I'm, you know, I work as a uh, second unit director on, on uh, Lifetime Movies, which is which is kind okay. of funny because they're all kind of right up my alley. It's all yeah. about all about you know women and in peril and <laughs> uh, okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do that and I do a lot of I do a lot of stuff these days. But yeah, looking forward to uh, you know to working on either the TV show or the, the movie. 
Good. Pretty Yeah. Chuck, thanks so much for talking to me. Oh, no, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And if you're a regular here and enjoy the podcast, do please subscribe. Take care.